1: Do you ever? Do you, I know we talk about being bloaty before. But hmm. I uh, I uh, I have a sore stomach at the moment, and I had the worst scenario ever in the entire world yesterday. Is when you have a really upset stomach, and you have to get on a flight. Mm. Oh my god! It was just the having having to go back and forth to that bathroom on the flight. And doing it is awful, but I was wondering. I when we had Foxy on the uh, on the podcast, he said that he once had to he had to poop into a bag and wrap it up in in, in cling film. In you've done, you haven't done that, have you?
2: Yes, I'm, I'm one of the uh, cling film shit wrap brotherhood.
1: <laughs> <laughs> shit, can I be in that group? You
2: can, you can. <laughs> it's quite simple. Do you, do you want me to break it down for you? Well,
1: the only thing is, is that that at the
2: moment, if
1: I shat into clingville it would not be very pretty <laughs> i don't know how that would work in any way it'd be more of a water bomb
2: <laughs> i'll be squirting out everywhere yeah uh, no you have to you know when we from the special forces you you know whenever you and especially when you're training in in the jungle on as part of selection you know you you can't you can't leave anything you know, and, and especially the, the the reason you do and, and when you're on operations, when you, sh- you shit in a bag and you carry, you take out, you know, you, you have to carry everything out with you. But why
1: are you carrying it?
2: Why don't you just like but, throw it away or bury but, it? Uh, because first of all, it can be tracked. So, you know, people can track it. People can find you through that. You know, once they do, then, you know, you can't leave a trace. It's about not leaving a trace. If you leave, if you're on a like an observation post, you know, overlooking the enemy. If you leave anything, you, you know, like a magazine, that's the thing that holds the bullets on your weapon. If you leave that, that's compromised the whole mission. Because from that magazine, they can tell what country you're from, likely to be from. Uh, they can find up so much information about you. And basically, you've compromised the whole mission just through leaving stuff on the ground. Oh god, I would be literally terrible. I mean, I sweet I, papers. I, everywhere Oh my, sweet
1: papers <laughs> everywhere. Just bags of poop everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> I just literally be doing everything. Uh, hello, everyone. Welcome back to part two of private part, Still here with Ollie. Hey, buddy. Hey, dude. Hey, hey, man. <laughs> um, hey, listen. I got a I got because we. Do you know what's so interesting? And, and I didn't mention the first up. This is Mental Health Awareness Week. Yes, um, which it is, is me. So it's it's so kind of fitting that we are talking about everything now. Yeah. Um, but. What I want to say, and we got into this a little bit in the first half, but you, I feel like you've, until now, Mm. and perhaps a little bit before, but until... Uh, recently, you, you've sort of always had a battle with life. Yeah. And, and your book, Breakpoint, is an incredible book. And it says on the cover, You're looking at me. This is actually sits next to my bed, and you look at me every night, which is just oh, delightful. God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and now that I'm single as well, I'm like, hello, Ollie. <laughs> but on it, it says fear, courage, strength, survival. Yeah. And I think for you, your life has constantly been about survival and mm. like bad news. And what is, you know, this battle started when you were 10 years old. Yeah. When you were attacked by a circus chimp. Yeah. Which is, I mean, what can you explain that scenario? What happened? Yeah. Um...
2: I get asked this question a lot. I know. I'm so sorry. I, I, <laughs> no, no, no. I'm sorry that I asked. I, I, hate,
1: it. I hate it when people ask the same question, but it is. No, no, it's just no. no. A question. I love this
2: question, though. I love this question. And actually, Foxy loves answering this. Actually, Foxy can tell the story better than me is that he's heard it that many times. <laughs> he, he admits to that. Um, but yeah, it, it was a bizarre, absolutely bizarre experience that, um, you know, as a kid, 10 years old, it was beautiful, beautiful hot day. And uh, a good friend of ours came round to see if me and my brother wanted to go for a swim anyway we this was in Burton-on-Trent in Staffordshire we crossed the bridge and as we're crossing the bridge we saw on the waste ground between the bridge and the the swimming pool we saw the circus setting up and you know we were so excited so we ran down there um the first guy we 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 sort of met we said look can we have a, a look around and um and all of a sudden we were looking around these elephants and everything in this big top who were all chained up and then I sort of separated away and walked into this open space that was, um, uh, you know, there was an open door um, and there was all this green and I could see this figure um, sat in the middle of it. And that sort of, as I looked closer, I could see it was a chimpanzee. And for me, you know, I was absolutely infatuated by Tarzan. You know, so for me, seeing that, that was like my little piece of Hollywood right there. I don't know if I wanted an autograph or something, but I was drawn to it straight away. And before I knew it, I was overlooking this chimp, this baby chimp. And um, it started passing me food. And I, it, was, it was like, it, it was a surreal moment. It was so surreal, you know. It's, you know, I've I had cats, i had dogs. It's like, a hu- it's like an animal it's a being human, chimpanzee. Yeah, but being a human as yeah. well. Actually, yeah, oh, man, it was amazing. You know, I'd never, I'd never been that. And it was a surreal moment. It looked up at me, beautiful brown eyes, and, and we connected. It was a connection. And, um... And then that um, serenity, it was almost, it was broken, but almost like a fighter jet cutting through the sky. And I heard this shriek and I saw in the shadows behind this movement. And that movement turned very quickly turned into a 50, 60 kilogram chimp, Mac 10 towards me going fucking nuts. And I'm there as a ten-year-old, just thinking, "Oh my fucking god, deer in the headlights."
1: Did you realise, Trevor, that this was it was that was head there uh, to protect?
2: and to, Oh yeah, to yeah. Get, it was yeah. you know it, it was it was on the primal path of protection and you know saving. You know I was th- I was a, I was the threat. You know t- to that chimp, I was another animal that was threatening its young. So in the moment, I thought, "Look, I'm you know I've got time to escape." This thing pounced. Um, Uh, through the air about 24 over the other chimp and pinned me to the floor landed on top of me pinned me to the floor and was in this absolute frenzy and like I say in the book it's great explanation especially when you sat under it it was like a drummer in a rock band just smashing its arms down onto my chest and biting trying to rip my face off and um, yeah and and then blood started flying everywhere and I look up and it was it was almost you know it's tearing chunks out of my arm and um, I sat there thinking, "Fuck, I'm going to die. I am going to die." What did that?
1: What did that feeling of death and it's so close. I feel like were you? Was it fear? Did you? Were you? It was s-
2: absolute fear. It was, it was absolute fear. But in that fear, I managed to get some kind of clarity. And that's why the book is called Breakpoint, because I had to make that. I knew I had to make that situation worse. You know, I had to anger that animal more for any chance of living that day. And that's what I did. I managed to uh, sort of knock it off my chest a little bit. It gave, my, gave me a, a couple of inches to be able to pull my knee up to my chest. And I smashed it straight in, straight in its chest. And it knocked it off me. And then I managed to sort of scurry backwards. And before I knew it, it was caught by the chain. It couldn't get to me any further. <gasps> its teeth were dripping with blood. And I was just there as a 10-year-old, just like, you know, I was hanging out. There's blood all over me. And, and then the whole place erupted. And, um, you know, and then... Uh, they came over to me and my arm was a mess and then she turned my arm over and it was just, I, I saw this massive open wound of all this flesh hanging off and yeah, it was, it was surreal. But, um, <clears throat> um, and then shortly after that, a couple of weeks later, I caught gangrene, nearly lost my arm and blah, blah, blah. This The story goes on and on and actually the story and it's, absolutely amazing in the book that story goes on for 30 years that chimp had an uh, yeah, you know, yeah that yeah. story carries on so it's a, it's, a, it's a weird chain of events
1: weirdly so um you know because what if if you've ever had and anyone listening's ever had therapy and you know i've had therapy, I've had therapy mm. for two and a half three years and i think it's an incredible thing to do because it gives yeah. you self-awareness and understand yep. stuff and even if you it's not just for people who feel sad or anxious it's actually just just think it's a really good thing to have um they always talk about your inner child and what mm. happens to you and that what you hold when yeah. you're younger and you know mine is about i have a very big problem with abandonment so yeah. my parents divorced and my dad left and lots of different things happened. and so i have this constant problem where i want everyone to love me because i'm worried that they're all going to leave me at some point yeah. and even though i know that's not true my inner child freaks out mm. Uh, and actually, what's amazing about watching you on SES, Who Dares Wins, you see, and especially the celebrity version I just watched, they all become their inner children at yeah. some point. They, yeah. all, they all do. Their inner yeah. child sort of comes out. But why do, that moment for you, you said you held on to it for 30 years.
2: Mm. What, what, what did you hold on to? What was that moment that stayed with you? What that's all mean, you don't learn these things after any traumatic event or any massive event in your life, it's the same as mental health. We block them away. We we turn you know, we think we think we can we think we can end it by by stop thinking by not thinking about it, but it never happens. You know, and and it it it, it it's like a pressure cooker. It, it will escape at some point. And that's what sort of happened to me and in hindsight you know, and I've always found the silver lining with everything everything and that's what I continue to do always find the silver lining and that for me I I looked back on that situation and how that affected my life how that changed the direction of my life and for me that point made me realize that regardless of how shit the situation is you have choices you have choices but you have to make things work worse in the short term for any chance of making them better in the long term so it's a short-term discomfort for a long-term gain. And that's an, an analogy for life. You know, people, people, will, people will sit under the chimp for all their life. People will sit under the chimp. You know, it's the same as toothache. It's almost the same uh, when I say it sort of, if I reflect it to toothache, people pr- prefer to have a life of toothache instead of having the short-term discomfort of the extraction for the long-term gain of that no further toothache. Do you, do you see what I'm saying there? I totally, dude, I, I totally get you. There's a, there's a really interesting
1: thing, you know, w- w- people talk about like suicide and stuff like that, that suicide is an instant relief to a solvable situation. Yeah. And, and people either, what they'll do is they will uh, just deal with, you know, and they won't actually go to the crux, mm. at, or they'll find the, the, the quickest escape to something yeah. because they don't actually have to really deal with the whole problem. And that analogy of the chimp is so yeah. true that people will, 100%, they will sit... With the chimp on their chest forever because it's far easier doing that than actually having to sort of fight back with it and things like that. But it's interesting, because with you, because, you know, I feel, you know, 10 years old and a chimp is on top of me and it's biting and fighting me. I would have no clue what to do. And it's almost, um, it's almost weirdly a metaphor for your life because... Mm. You, you you've been in these battles and things like that, and and it's like that chimp without that chain, mm. that chimp would have killed you. Yeah, you would be dead. Definitely, hundred percent. And, yeah. and I feel like in life, you've you've always managed to protect yourself, but there's always you're you're always facing mm. that death right in the face. And you said you were obsessed with the military and you joined the military and you you wanted to do that. But what was it like? Was it the sort of the fascination with death, or was it the fascination yeah. with? Being mm. part of a group—what was, was the fascination I, behind it? Yeah,
2: I actually spend a lot of time thinking about this, and I, I think there's—you know—I come from a military family. My my uh, my grandfather was uh, a captain in the Royal Engineers, so I would come from sort of a, a military family. So it, it felt natural for me to to join the military. It was it's a, it was a natural thing, but I've reflected on this so much, and you know, the book covers this—you know—my life journey, um, sort of in the military, post military, or and even before the military. And I was always chasing that that. I I I had a, a desperate need for that danger all the way through my life. I was I was I was chasing that, chasing the threat all the way through. Because it excited you? Yeah, I, I feel it. You know, it's. I think I, I just feel that. You know, as a ten year old, being so close to death, it made me quite emotionless. It made me, I I, it made me really fearless. I didn't have any consequence, no fear, nothing. And I was pushing and pushing and pushing. And even, when, you know, my time in, uh, in Iraq as a mercenary, some of the things I look back and that I did, you know, I was, I, was, I was chasing death. Yeah. Yeah, it was really weird when I look back and I, I still haven't processed it. Processed it properly, but, you know, I was chasing death. I was putting myself in some fucking mad situations. And, and look, and I know
1: with these things, there's a lot, a lot of loopholes you have to jump through and mm. things and you can't say stuff, but is there something that you can possibly say that you would put yourself in and you're like, what the fuck was I doing? Was there a scenario where you're like, I don't even need to put myself in the scenario, but I'm doing it just because I'm so excited to feel that yeah. fear
2: yeah no there was one um, there was one situation of many but one that uh, we'll talk about and that was I was in Baghdad and you know it's when we first got there, it was quite low level. You know, the statue came do- down in Ferdows Square of of Saddam. Everyone thought the war was over, but it wasn't. The war would, you know, had just begun. Um, and you know, over that time, we basically we, we lived in the red zone, so that's out of the the safety of the green zone. So we lived with with all the Iraqis. We had a two thousand strong Iraqi army that we trained. Um, but really, for us, there was a massive threat against us, so we had to encase the house in steel. Um, And whenever we heard shots outside, we would have to close all the windows. And that's why I talked before, you know, it was almost like self-imprisonment for six years. And that's why in the end I had to leave um, through and some other things that were going on. But there was one time where we used to get threat, um, you know, some warnings from the U.S. State Department. And one particular time I was the country manager. So I I was the boss, you know, and um, one day we're told do not be seen on the streets because everyone was, you know, everyone was after the Westerners. You know, and even even sort of your low level sort of criminals knew that if they got a Westerner, that there was a, a money. Uh, it, 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 we, we had a value Is a reward right? yeah, yeah, reward to hand them over. So one day they said no one is to go out. It's, it's full lockdown. And I was like that. Fuck this. You know, it came that day and I was like sitting around. And I was thinking, I'm just so fucking bored. And I don't.
1: Because you didn't like the authority, someone telling you, can you yeah, do something? Yeah, I, I hate
2: to be controlled. I yeah. always hate to be. It sounds bizarre. I have to go in the military and in, in the special forces, but I I just hate people trying to control me and, and dictate what I do. Um, and this day in particular, I, said, I decided, no, this is not going to happen. I'm going out. I want to buy a rug. <laughs> and did you, and, di- and maybe, did you, did you do it because. Um
1: you were in a, a, a sort of mentality where you were like, fuck it anyway. And you're a bit like going, I don't want to listen to anyone anymore. Cause I'm just, you were just feeling unhappy in a sense.
2: Yeah, no, there, there is that, but there's, there's always the thing, I mean, even I, I was a bit of a pain in the arse in the special forces and um, <laughs> my, Foxy will tell you that because I questioned everything. I questioned fucking everything, you know, and I if everyone was going marching forward, I would look to what's happening left and right. You know, and I, I but just... just to do it. Well, not it, just that. I just think that I, I hate the status quo. I hate oh, I yeah. hate conformity. I hate... Weird, social conformity pisses me off. And, and but everyone. you joined the military. Which I, is I is know, that. I know, exactly. No wonder I didn't find my purpose um so but you know and that's why you know when we did stuff i was like ah, why are we doing that it doesn't make any sense you know and it, it just caused so many problems you know it's like the hierarchy just hated me for like they just knew that any kind of right we're doing this mission today and blah, blah, blah why are we fucking bothering that's just stupid <laughs> <laughs> and they shut the fuck up allerton um but yeah for me that day it was like right i'm going out i want a rug i wanted the silk rug from the streets of Baghdad. To put where? In my doing? house back home. I wanted one of these really nice silk rugs. They were a lot cheaper than you get them back home. Yeah, that so, is true. That is true. Yeah. So I thought, and I wanted something authentic. So I'm like, and we had like, I had all my bodyguard teams, you know, I had all my own weapons and stuff, but we, hired, we had our own bodyguard teams as well, which were locals. We ran a sort of low, profi- low profile operation. So we, we used all the locals for all, all the um, a lot of the stuff we did. So I was like that to the lads, right, I need to go to the Mansour district, I want to buy a rug, and they were like that, no, no, Mr. Ollie, you, you have to stay in today, and I'm like, no, we are going to town to buy a rug. So, um, you know, under duress, they followed what the boss said, and, you know, we got in the cars, we headed to al Mansour, and um, I got out of the car, we parked the cars out, the bodyguards all get out, and made my... way into the into the shop and well i sort of crawled my way into the shop so i wasn't seen and then i'm lay on the floor in this rug shop you know i've got bo-
1: at that point are you realizing this is not a i'm crawling into but i'm shrine. loving it because uh, it's a bit of fear again it's, it's that, fear it's, it's I'm, loving it. you know, in I'm, you.
2: I'm laughing because everyone was saying you know everyone would be saying you shouldn't be doing this and i was doing it it's great um and there I was, I was laying on the floor in this shop with this, this owner of the shop, you know, and I'm there with a wad of, um, you know, US dollars, but, you know, negotiating with this guy and he's after 2,500 and I'm like, no way I'm not paying that and blah, blah, blah. I would got the one that I wanted. So anyway, did the deal. As I'm doing the deal, like the bodyguard comes flying through the door and he's like, ah, Mr. Ollie, we, we, we must go. We have to go. The militia, they're coming. And I'm like, Fuck. You know, it's, it's got real. It's starting to get noisy. And I can, then the rounds start coming down the street. And I can hear, hear the bullets raining. And I'm like, fuck, it's got real. You know, I've got body armor. I've got my MP5 next to me, machine gun. And then I basically, the guy came in. One of the guys, I chucked the $2,000 at this guy. One of the bodyguards came in, grabbed the rug. And I've just pelted my way to the car. managed to get in the car. And you could see all the movement behind you. I mean, it's always packed traffic. You could see all the movement behind the cars coming down. The militia were coming down, running down the street. And we managed to just get out. And as we were going down, bullets are flying down. AK-47 bullets are flying down the side of the car. Two came through the back window. And I'm hitting the back seat. And I'm laughing. I'm just laughing. You know, and, and then... Yeah, I got away, got the rug, and the rug is like at home now. I've got it on my. I, I don't allow anyone to stand on the rug. It's safe. Mm. It's on the wall. It's beautiful. And I've, I walk downstairs every morning. I just look at it, and sh- I shake my head with laughter. But looking back, it was that. That was fucking stupid. Because
1: it's that. It's that. It's. It's probably symbolizes that moment where, firstly, where you realise where you were and mm. where you are now yeah. and, and that moment of you just go Jesus what you know that just mm. craziness almost in your head that you just were madness. constantly madness it was that yeah. you were constantly striving for that next high yeah. that next hit all yeah. those kind of things and 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 did you it's so interesting because when you went into because you did Royal marines yeah you did uh and correct me if i'm wrong you did sbs yeah and then you did
2: sas is no no what happens basically you there's a joint selection process now. okay yeah so basically raw marines and then you go into the you do selection special forces selection uk special forces selection which is joint sas and sbs yeah. so at the end of that selection once you've passed You can either go to the SES or the SBS, and I chose to go to the SBS, same as Foxy
1: yeah yeah and but what's amazing about it is that we hear all the statistics you know 95 or 99% mm. fail rate yeah you know you had something like I think it was something like 300 people in your in your class yeah. and five of them went through yeah. but then you and I know you repeated <laughs> this you had to do it
2: again I know you had to do it <laughs> yeah 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 because yeah. you because you because a farmer sold you out or he you, sold you, us out yeah we had an altercation with the Welsh farmer I know uh,
1: because you because you you, you, you you know the, the process over six months mm. uh, you did different locations but the Brecon Beacons and yeah. you, you you can explain the story it's much yeah
2: easier. yeah no it was, it was the final phase so pretty much anyone that gets to that phase is is, is you know badged as an operator and um, you know we could see the end you know was, and like like you just said it was you know there was only a few people that had passed um, and that phase is you know you, you're being chased across the Brecon Beacons and then at the end of that you get collared and then you're put in the bag so interrogation for 36 hours which is horrendous
1: And that interrogation is where you're got your headphones in stress position. Yeah,
2: it's not headphones actually. Actually, on the the real one, it's just the room has got massive speakers all the way around, and it's just and you're you're kneeling on the sharpest, horrendous gravel on the floor for 36 hours, and then taken away for questioning every few hours. Um, So you know sort of 36 36 hours and and going into that it's like you're do you know you're going into
1: it do you know it's about? you
2: know you're going into it you know you know it's going to happen but you have no idea how you know you're in there for the first minute and you think is that a minute and then you think i've got 36 hours and the mental torture that creates is just but before you know you know the first hour is is the worst and then before you know it's um yeah, it just doesn't stop. It's relentless. How
1: do you mentally get through something like that? How do you? How do you? Millimeter
2: switch? by millimeter. It is second by second. God,
1: it's so funny. Have you ever? Have you ever watched or read the book um, "Touching the Void"? Have you ever seen that? Like, yes. The guy, yeah, the guy. Yeah. So if, if yeah. doesn't, know, the, basically, two climbers, two friends. Uh, went up uh k2 i think mm. it was and storm hit anyway one of, he woke up and one of his friends was, had dragged off the cliff and he yeah. was attached and so he had the decision to cut the rope or not and he cut the rope and the mm. guy found the ravine he thought he had died and the guy who found the ravine tells the story because he had broken leg ruptured thing yeah. frostbite i mean he was dead like yeah. he was dead but he crawled himself back to yeah. base camp and he crawled and he said if I can get to that next rock,
2: I'll do it. Exactly. And he did like that. And, if I can get, and so yeah. you didn't like that. And that's exactly it. And, w- and when time, the thing is, this is the way, well, you have this, and I'm a great, I uh, believe in visualisation of the end goal. You know, that's the driving force. That's, th- that's the thing that pulls you forward. But the thing is that, is, that is the bigger picture stuff. But when things really get hard, you need to forget about the bigger picture and you need to pull it into one metre square. Focus exactly what's going in and one metre square. Don't think outside of that and just take one step forward. Because if you think of the bigger picture at times like that, it, the outcome is too overwhelming, too unachievable.
1: So you literally have to go through it a bit by bit. bit by bit, second and, uh, by second. That's really good advice in any because yeah. I think what I do a lot of the time is I do something where I catastrophize stuff. Mm. So I will... Um, okay, I... Uh, I'm going to break up with my girlfriend and then I broke up my girlfriend. I'm never going to find anyone else. That means I'm never, never yeah. going to have kids. I'm never going to And it goes yeah. spiraling out of control. Mm. And the end process is too overwhelming. When in fact, if you just process that thing bit by bit, yeah. that actually helps you get
2: through it. Right. But that is a great thing. When it comes down to mental health, that's exactly the process you must go through when you're really struggling. That's what I went through. You know, when I was stuck in this world of negativity and a repeat cycle of yesterday you know it's because the bigger picture is so overwhelming you so you know you so uh, feel so worthless and everything else and, and then, trapped in and that- trapped in that repeat cycle um but then you do have to put a process into play and although that process can seem like unachievable providing you keep progressing forward you keep moving forward keep momentum second by second you will you will, you will move yourself out of this plateau you know, but if you don't put a process in place and you rely on emotion, you will be caught in that cycle forever. And one thing I'll say about mental health as well, I mean, I speak to a lot of people about mental health and I hear it going on a lot. I, I do feel there is so much, there's too much focus on the problem and not the solution. What are you, you, know, you going to do to move away from this? And I see a lot of guys in the military And I know it's interesting on Instagram and blah, 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 but they're repeating the the, the trauma. And as long as they put pictures up of it, write stories about it, do this, that and the other, they're always going to be caught in that world. And that is is the problem I see with mental health. When it comes to mental wealth is how you're going to move away. It's a step ladder. You've got to put a step ladder into that hole and get on every single rung step by step. And the only way you can do that is by putting a process into play. You've got to make a plan. And stick to a process and forget the emotion.
1: Holy shit, man! You've been through this. This entire you, your life is incredible. Mm. The fact that you can go to such dark places, such kind of like hectic situations, and, and come out the other side being incredibly empathetic and uh, and warming and welcoming, and all these different things. And you know, do you? You know, you have a lot of empathy now, and you have. Um, you know you, you you're very humble and very kind but when you were when you were in the military do you think you had any empathy at all do you, do you think you just that emotions was just cut out
2: no because yeah. I listen yeah. I listened
1: to Andy I actually listened to there's a lovely podcast called how we Fell by Elizabeth Day and she's mm. actually coming on this podcast and she spoke to Andy McNabb, who wrote uh, bravo 210 yeah. I think that is it 20 20 yeah. and he spoke about he just had no empathy. He just, yeah. you know, he, there was an amazing way where he'd spoke about how there was a, a 14 year old boy that, that had to be killed and they just bundled into a bag because they just had to move on. Mm. And that's what they had to do. And I don't know how mentally you can just get through those things. You must be, yeah. Your mental strength is just baffles me mm. how amazing it can be to go through all these different things, through drink, through uh, relationship breakups, through the military, through the chimp, to get to a point where you are now, where you're an author, you're yeah. an entrepreneur, you're a part of a TV show called SES, Who Dares Win? To go from all of that darkness to become this... And you are successful. Yeah. A hundred percent. You know, forget everything. You're, you're incredibly successful. But mm. how do you mentally get there? How yeah. do you mentally do
2: it? Well, um... <laughs> First of all, I mean, we talked about Thailand. That was the epiphany. That was when I realized helping others is my purpose in life. My forte it gives me so much drive to help other people. Now, um, and, it, you know, that, that mental process I went through of, you know, I, I, I put a process into play to get myself from the... I mean, when I, I was, when I went out to the toilet before, I was thinking about how I was. You asked me how I was, how I used to think. Yeah. And that made me reflect. I, I couldn't even talk. I, could, I was in such a bad place, I couldn't even, I, f- I feared talking to people. I couldn't, talk, I couldn't string a sentence together when I was at my worst. And now I look at myself, you know, it's totally different. You can't shut me up. Yeah. yeah yeah it's true I <laughs> but, try <laughs> yeah. but, but you know and then that makes you re- it makes me realise that how far I have come you know because you get told by other people but it's, you, you know it's so hard to actually reflect and then I'm really you need to take a step out sometimes and really appreciate how far you have come but I, I never got the only way I could get there is putting the process into play and the big thing for me is how I started to and, and another thing that you know I talked about before it was stop chasing the happiness externally because it wasn't there you know, I've spent so many, so many years, 10, 13 years or oh, all my life looking for that purpose, looking for the happiness. Whether that's the military, whether that's girlfriends yeah. or, or, or situations, holidays, yeah. whatever it was. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 Just finding that external, trying to find that external fix. And it's not. And then the day I realized it wasn't there was was, an, again, another epiphany for me. And, and when I started to adjust and started to look and understand how we work as humans. You know, we're born into these human bodies and we all jump in there and we think we're fucking experts, don't we? And we're like, hey, we're like in a fucking racing car. Yeah, I'm a fucking expert. I'm going to drive through life and I'm, I'm, I'm the best that there is at this. And we don't actually understand what the hell's going on. We don't understand how we work as humans. We don't understand how the mental processes are there to protect us, but can also bring us down so far that into, into a world of depression. And when I started to understand, I read a book Um, when I came back. And I started to become... For me, it was, I I became awake. I started to become awake. I I feel that so many people in life are going through life, unconscious and they they will die unconscious. They don't actually, they're being systemized. They're part of the system. They are just in that, you know, I I look at this as well. I I refer to it as the LPS. It's like a GPS, but it's a life positioning system. It's like when you get in your car, you switch on the GPS, you don't have to think. And before, and you follow a route and you get there and go, fuck me. That was the worst route ever. I, I knew a better route, but you weren't prepared to think. And people are on the LPS, the life positioning system. They're, they're, they're doing the same in life. They're not thinking they're just following these footprints instead of making their own.
1: Mate, I couldn't agree more. I chatted to this guy the other day um, who was working at Goldman Sachs. Mm. And he was making a huge amount of money. Yeah. Um, but he was on that LPS. Yeah. And he got on, actually, weirdly, a bus in Thailand. And this uh, American guy came on. He was like, oh, God, this guy's going to come sit next to me. He didn't want him to. He just wanted to have a little bit of time by himself. And the guy came, sat next to him on this bus. And they started chatting and he realized, I I'd love that term LPS. I mean, that's mm. such a good term. And he said to him, you're, you're on the LPS. He said, do the rocking chair. Technique. Imagine you're 90 years old now in your rocking chair on your porch. Are you happy with your life? Are you happy with what you've achieved? Are you happy with your journey that you've done? And this guy said, he wasn't. He came back Mm. from Thailand. He quit Goldman Sachs. And he went and set up a company, which is now a great company called Change Please, which is a coffee company. He only hires homeless people. He hires them for a year and houses them for an entire year and then sends them out into the world. And he was just like, that's what it's about. Mm. Loads of people are on this journey without... You're part of the system. You just yeah. go, fuck. Because we grow up with this thing, right, we have to pass this exam and get yeah. this test. means get us into this job and we're just going to fucking do it. Yeah. And that's not right. You've got to live life. And yeah. a lot of people aren't
2: living life. But look at that guy. Look what he's done. He's helping other people and the satisfaction yeah. and the purpose. Yeah, yeah. And what does he take with him to the grave? He takes purpose. Mm-hmm. He doesn't take all his cars. He doesn't take his house or his money or his wealth. He takes purpose. To, you take purpose to the grave. That's the only thing you, you leave with. You start with purpose. And some people don't end with purpose. They lose it along the way and never get it back. But if you've, if you've left, if you're in your, on your deathbed, if you want to call it that, if you're, you die with purpose, that will put, put a smile on your face.
1: Mate, it's true. You don't want to be the richest person in the graveyard. You want yeah, to give all of your absolutely. riches away, knowledge, yeah. whatever,
2: money, whatever it is.
1: And actually, so true, if you, if you die with purpose, then yeah. you're, 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 you're going to be just
2: wealthy in life yeah. and everything. Fucking I'm in love with you. <laughs> <laughs> Ollie, I'll tell you what though I follow I follow a lot of these inspirational people and I've had a uh-huh. I, I, I've had a bit of a shift in mindset just recently because I you know we are sort of programmed to chase wealth chase you know you know yeah, it's yeah. wealth how much how many cars have I got how many followers have I got how many you know it's all about how I look from the outside sure and you know I, I look at so I won't mention the name, but I look at one guy he's like worth over 500 million real estate and I idolize this guy I want to be like this guy I'm going to follow his process I'm going mm-hmm. to do this and, that and the other and then I look at that guy and I think when does he stop when does he understand enough is enough when does he enjoy life when does you never do no, no you never do you I... never do what is ha- and that why what is happiness to you Happiness to me, I'm already happy. I mean, I've, you know, if I die tomorrow, then I'm happy. I'm happy in what I've achieved. I'm happy what, you know, I feel I've got more of a legacy to, to, to create. But, you know, I'm, I'm happy. And that is the best wealth you can have. Just one more question. Do, you, do you fear death at all or no? I fear death if it comes from um, not natural circumstances. Okay. You know, an abrupt kind of death, like being attacked by a chimp yeah yeah but but <laughs> yeah. as in but you but don't... as in death no i don't believe I, I feel i feel and this will freak people out that we are we're having a we're, we're spiritual beings having a a human experience a life experience and i don't believe it ends i don't believe it ends do listen before we head up we got to say that your your book you got it listen go out and get you this
1: get you this book go out and get <laughs> this book breakpoint it's number three in the times bestseller at the moment isn't it that is. right I'm and it's going to be rising up. you should honestly buddy you should be so proud of
2: yourself thank you
1: also the other great thing is uh you should go and sign up to breakpoint which is well you can explain it's yeah
2: what is breakpoint, well, breakpoint is you know that, that's an extension of everything i've done in life it's using my ex, you know expertise as a special forces soldier fox is involved with me and also billy from the show so um and breakpoint like i keep saying it's about Putting yourself in a, in a short term discomfort for a long term goal. It's not about the things we do at Breakpoint. We have events, we have corporate, we do a lot of corporate work, but it's taking people and changing their limiting beliefs through um, a practical activity, which causes a, a shift in, in, in the way you think.
1: Yeah, it's insane. You could go and sign up to go and get the book, uh, go and follow Ollie Ollerton on uh, Instagram as well. Ollie, you're an incredible guy. I, I thank you. you. You're so busy. Thank you for taking time out to be here today. Thank you, man. I'm going to go and literally fly home now. I can't wait because I feel great. <laughs> Buddy, I really appreciate it. What we like to do at the end of the episode is leave our listeners with something inspirational.
2: Okay, you put me on point now. <laughs> I know.
1: I'll put you on break point right now. <laughs>
2: um, one thing I'd like to say is we are not our thoughts, we're our actions. And, you know, we're responsible by our actions only. So... Don't feel, um, don't feel pressured by the things you think, but make sure that you have a plan. Put it into process and don't rely on emotion. Boom.
1: Ollie, thank you so much for coming to the podcast. Thank you, everyone. We'll thank see you. you next week. Goodbye. <laughs> awesome.